Uh, yes, I do have a question. My daughter was wondering, actually, it wasn't doesn't come from me. Uh, are fish happy? Well, I've never sung a song before, but I'll give it a shot. How does it work? Oh my gosh. That's a heavy beat. Uh, I don't have any words ready. I could make a couple up. Oh, uh, what's that? Oh, okay. It's called... Oh, okay. Sit on my couch. What? No? Oh, my goodness. Come over to my place. <laughs> I still, I can't hear you. Oh, I see. Hey, baby. Couch. Like that? Or... I'm going all the way Like that? This singing shit's easy Give me some more of that funky shit One time I went into the store No, two steps I bought some cocoa Hold on, this is my part right here (laughs) Baby, let's go all the way Like that? I don't get it, but I'm going to keep trying. You know why? Because I don't give up. Couch. Oh, yeah, about, like, God and what ties us all together and what is... (laughs) Yeah, that deep. (laughs) What is morality and how do we come to know what that actually... You, you question me like I'm just being myself. And that's the whole, that's a person who's authentic would say that because they're like, well, hell, you're just asking me and I'm answering you. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that wasn't really a test. Maybe he's retaliating. So I got very scared for a few months. Um, I'm doing better. <laughs> no worries Christ, over here. Yeah. But yeah, um, that was a lot of emotional uh, struggle there because, God, and then there was this, so in this soccer. Man, we could have a whole like yeah, right consortium on just like <laughs> gather every all the brains together. Mm-hmm, the future of therapy. Hey, welcome to another podcast. Nice recovery. Today we're lucky enough to have Lisa, who has been somebody that I've known for years. Uh, initially uh, worked and collaborated with her. And now uh, I saw her not too long ago, and so we kind of connected, and it's really cool. So uh, tell me a little bit about where where we met and, and what you were doing and where you're at now. Well, we met some years back when I was working at the drop-in center for the Lake County Health Department. Um, yeah, and that was a really great time, getting to hang out, spend time with clients. Um, I really liked those years working um, at the drop-in center, and then... Yeah, I didn't see you for a long time, but I happened to stop by a NAMI support group last summer, and mm-hmm. you were also there mm-hmm. working, and it was so great to run into you, um, to meet an old friend, and now we're here. <laughs> well, that was an improv group. I was yeah. amazed at how good you You seemed very naturally just, because the cool thing about improv is it kind of requires us to drop some of the other things that might be we thinking about and be like in the moment and which is part of the whole process is that we use improv to help us those of us with anxiety or whatever i mean to open up to be free to allow ourselves to be creative and authentic and that really helped me but um, why did it come so easily to you 
I think I just really love the mental health community. I think it's a place um, where I feel safe and can be whomever I am without fear of judgment. So I think that's that's what lent to my comfort level there was just feeling like you can laugh and make mistakes and be goofy and not perfect and no one's going to judge you because everybody is kind of just learning to own their own stuff too. Yeah. But why are you so good at it? <laughs> I want I there's got to be a story. Did you were like in theater in high school? Yeah, yeah, okay, I did okay, a little okay. theater in high school. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. I could tell. <laughs> I mean, you just had that natural ability, but you also like knew how to put your body and like, you know, so you were like aware of some of that stuff, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, and it's also just um, me testing out my my own personal anxiety, right? Mm. Like, can I put that aside and just have fun? And were you able to? Yeah, absolutely. And were you surprised? Yeah, yeah. You know, you go in with a little bit of, I don't know, timid energy, but then, yeah, I sat down, saw you, the instructors were so friendly and kind, and it just, that kind of environment lends itself to me feeling personally comfortable and safe to be whoever I want to be. Well, that's a perfect um, sort of launching point. I love that we got there because you have this very progressive, creative approach to where you see mental health treatment going uh, and what you try to do as you're working with people. And I think for me, that also is an example because I do the the groups in the city and I create, you know, help with the creating of groups in different places. And I feel like that improv group and we now have a comic book group where we read comics and, and we relate it to how we're feeling. And it's just naturally every subject you talk about can in some way go back to our mental health or at least our minds. And I love that. And I love that we can use this approach. So instead of like advertising, we have support groups. People normally go support groups. Well, I'm not crazy. But when we have groups like this that are just about life, so why do we have to make it like support group? Why can't it just be an experience like any other where people join together as a community, they have space, they feel, and I like what you said is that they feel safe. And I think and I think that's what I was really, I love to hear you say, because if we could create more of that, tell me a little bit about what you'd like to see moving on ahead. You talked a little bit about some of your um, thoughts on the way you handle therapy and helping people Accept where they're at and then move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to say I think that's why I respect so much of the work that you've been doing with NAMI is that you are working to create these different groups that aren't just let's sit around and talk about our depression or anxiety um, or mood disorder or whatever it may be, that we can get out, we can be supportive of each other, we can engage creatively, we can do other things besides just talking to support our mental health. And so I think that's really, really great that you guys are providing that to the community because it's not something that you find so readily. Uh, true, even within that community of social work and, and um, community um, support, uh, I find it interesting how, uh, just unwilling people are to shift their focus. In other words, uh, they're worried about um, all kinds of different aspects of, um, you know, uh, just a new way of thinking. And um, I appreciate that. And I think um, 
you have this ability to see that, and I know we've tried to get you on over there at Namian <laughs> because I love this viewpoint. Um, we're going to take a break, and then uh, we'll be back and talk a little bit about the future. Okay. All right, welcome back. Well, I, I want to focus on what do you see as the future for therapy, for you? Um, what do you think is going to happen? What would you like to see happen? Gosh, that's a really good question. The future of therapy. <laughs> Man, we could have a whole like yeah, right? consortium on <laughs> just like... Gather every all the brains together. Mm-hmm, the future of therapy. I love to think about it and maybe there will be like changes made and because in the last several years there's been such a uptick in people accessing mental health services and so with so many more people engaged in the field um, and this kind of like line of thinking about things maybe there will be progress maybe there will be change um, I like I think when I think about the future of mental health it's not okay so one idea that I have had is um, providing more psychoeducation within our school systems um, about mental health, about feelings and managing them. Mm. I think it would be so, so beneficial to all of our children growing up to have courses um, that familiarize them with the vocabulary of just feelings like mm. with all my patients i start out with a feelings wheel like mm -hmm. you may have a limited vocabulary for what you're feeling and it can be hard to have control over an emotional experience if you don't have the vocabulary for it and so i think that's something that like one small thing that we could teach in our schools is what's an emotional vocabulary how do we deal with our emotions what is mindful breathing? Just like really basic stuff. Um, conflict resolution. Really basic stuff that's just like emotional intelligence mm -hmm. that we all have a great need for, but it is kind of neglected. And I think the school systems have an opportunity to make a difference in that um, deficit that we're experiencing. And I mean, you know, for the last year, I was working with children and their families um, and it's so apparent that in our schools today, we have a pretty high suicide rate for teens. Um, there was recently an uptick in the Chicago suburbs of some teen suicides. And I think that just shows that there's a need, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would love just to see emotional intelligence being addressed in our school systems. I'm right with you. I, I'm so glad that you put it in those terms because I often think that what we need is to start earlier. You know what I mean? And when you talk about just being able to identify feelings and bringing in that conversation at a level that, you know, preschool and, and elementary and, and, and follow it all the way through because you're right. I mean, the suicide rates just never go down. They almost always, there's a slow increase. And there are some populations and, and some areas that for certain reasons for a year or so will have an increase and then they'll go to average. But um, I love I love your idea of beginning that. I just, 
to have that basic, so in other words, to communicate with somebody, you have to speak their language. If somebody came over here from Cambodia, I wouldn't know how to communicate something. So a child, and I think of a child when you say that, how are they going to communicate if they don't even know what is their feeling? I remember feeling very sad at times and I didn't understand or know what depression meant. Now I know that and I wish I would have been able to because I felt very much freakish or like I don't belong or this is weird or different or other people don't feel that way. And I think that's a, when we talk about the future, that's the future I see. So thank you for painting that. Because I don't think it's, I mean, I would love to say, you know how we look at a utopian, well, what I see is the world all holds hands. And, you know, I mean, the reality is, how do we put that together? And you just identify, I think, the first step, having a language for it. Mm-hmm. And by having a language for it, if it doesn't become something taboo or something you don't talk about, and it just becomes any other conversations it loses its power it just becomes you know whatever it whatever it relates to physically in health so i love that idea uh you said yeah you worked with families and 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 young people kids Mm -hmm. what was that tell me a little bit about that experience i mean was that like really enjoyable or was that super challenging and but took you to another level i mean that's a really tough um population Working with kids is a challenge and a joy. Um, some of my coworkers talk about how they love the opportunity to really watch a child grow and feel like you can make a real difference in their overall development. Um, I think sometimes working with adults, people are, are clinicians recognize that you're you're going to be working through. 20, 30, 40 years of maladaptive thinking or trauma responses, and there's a lot to dig through there. Um, When you work with kids, you're working with what's happening right here today. And so it can be really exciting to think that, like, I could make a big turnaround for this kid that will make a lasting difference in their life. So in that way, it can be really, really rewarding. In other ways, it can be really challenging because, like I said, our kids, a lot of them don't have a vocabulary. They don't understand what they're feeling. They don't understand why they're feeling it. And so a lot of working with them is just providing the education on Mm -hmm. this is what you're feeling and this is normal and this is what we can do to work to help you feel better. Mm. Well, again, the communication, you mentioned that. It's just more more of just educating a young person who isn't doesn't know what that feeling is or doesn't know what that means or is I mean I like that you sort of highlighted that that wasn't where I was going but and you work with adults now I do and give me a little taste of what that's like well it's different in that um, like working with kids I found uh, there's a lot of work in drawing the information out from the child. Mm. Working with adults, I'm having people come in that are um, motivated for treatment, right? So they're really ready to share with you what's been going on in their lives and what brings them to treatment. So I would say that's a big difference. Hmm. Well, I mean, so it's so much, I love it when people want to be in a group or want to be and sign up to do whatever. I love that because I know when I go into that room and we're all in there together with that same purpose, there's a different vibe. And uh, having having clients that don't have that, uh, kids, for example, I'm, I'm not, 
I don't know if kids go, oh, I can't wait till I get to therapy, but I imagine it's really not that, you know. Yeah, it's not that way. <laughs> <laughs> Period. I mean, sure, we sure there are definitely kids that come in that are like, I am tired of living with OCD or anxiety or depression and I want to get better. Um, and that's great, but that's not every kid. A lot of kids are like, I don't like feeling this way and I also don't like therapy because therapy makes me think about how I feel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of just rapport building and making the therapeutic experience um, rewarding and positive for the child. Mm. So you kind of got to take little bites and be, you know, I, mean, I guess what I'm guessing I'm hearing you say is you'd like to take this young person or anybody you work with from here to this point to that point. And so it's, it might be a little bit harder with kids trying to get to the, them to move forward. I don't know. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, it can be challenging. It really can. Um, I was actually working with the autism spectrum disorder population for the last year, too. And so that had its own level of challenges as well. But um, I would say with the kids, the most important thing is developing a safe, trusting relationship, letting them. And, and that can be just so, so beneficial, just warming the child up to the concept of therapy, because it's very possible that they're going to need therapy for years to come. Mm. And so if when they come through our doors, we can teach them that therapy can be fun therapy can be helpful your therapist is a kind person that you can trust and feel safe with if we can leave a child with that understanding then we've done part of our job i like that now tell us a little bit about your experience growing up and becoming who you are today and you know i'm very i love the peer aspect so, and I love to hear people, and you've always been so open with me and open with others, and that's one thing I noticed about you. So where does that come from? Where did you pick that up that, in order to, well, you tell me. Tell me how that come to be. Openness with others? Yes, yeah, allowing, because it's very challenging for a lot of professionals to open up and say, I am this way, or I also experience this, or my symptoms might be. And so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to start off with that question, okay? Sounds good. Super. All right. All right, welcome back. Well, I'm excited to move forward because I love your story. I've heard part of it uh, when I was hanging out at the drop-in center. Uh, I used to love to go there because, you know, I just uh, act like I was doing something. But, you know, because <laughs> I was supposed <laughs> to bring people and I'm like, I'm having just as much of a good time. That was half the job was let's just have some fun and bring joy into our lives because, right, like, just having a good time and connecting with others is so therapeutic. Yes. Yeah, that's what I loved about that place. It was like, yeah, we do groups and we talk about hard things, but we also bond and relax and have fun. And yeah. I just really appreciated how much of a difference that makes for people. Yeah, that's a, so key as you move on in life, right? To be at that age where... Um, a lot of the people that I brought were in a program where they lived in a, an apartment. We helped them live independently, but isolation was so huge. Massive. And you get uh, this uh, stipend, not a stipend, this government disability check that allows you to live, basically survive. And I mean, it's a pretty, it can be a very, like, it's great to be on your own, but it also is the, 
the number one challenge is people would get so lonely they would go back to a facility that wasn't just to be with other people yes, yeah right. and that's why we would take them there they would fight Flat, uh, scratch and claw did not go but we knew they, they needed it and it was really hard because someone would be like no I don't want to go and then they'd always love it I was going to say over. yeah <laughs> um, my experience was that most people really liked it I know I know yeah. and, and the same day it was the same thing they go oh, I don't want to go and I go remember how much you liked it ah nah and then they'd love it you know but it was the same day it was like the same fight so um where did that start with you? This this part, and I was kind of we kind of left off at the break talking about how did you become who you are, the person who shares so comfortably? Uh, because a lot of professionals feel like that's something that you need to be careful of, but mm -hmm. you you don't seem to have that. You know that was one of my favorite parts about working at the drop-in center. It was my first job in the mental health field, and the a prerequisite of the job was having a mental health challenge yourself. That's why you were able to be called a peer. Mm -hmm. um, and so my first two years in the mental health field was working in an environment where I was talking about my own struggles every day too. And that taught me how valuable those connections can be and how freeing it can feel to be like, oh yeah, I have a mood disorder. And it affects me because I hear things and I feel things and I think things. And to not feel judged or othered at all in sharing that kind of stuff is freeing and healing and transformative. So it was, it was great to just kind of feel like I don't have to hide or keep a secret that I experience these things. And look, I'm so capable and professional at the same time, right? And I think that sometimes for people who maybe haven't had the opportunity to have that professional experience where you're, you're at work and you're talking about your mental health challenges, I think it's gotta be hard for people because we know lots of therapists are therapists because they went through their own mental health struggles, mm -hmm. right? It's the reason that you came to the field. And I think people may struggle with sharing their stories because they don't want to be, I think one of the big fears is probably like, oh, people aren't going to think I'm capable, mm -hmm. right? Or people aren't going to think I'm qualified or people aren't going to think, God forbid, that I'm like stable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it becomes kind of this thing where it's just like, oh, sure, yeah, I go to therapy and that's it. We don't say anything more, right? And I have always appreciated being able to really open up with people and really say like, oh no, specifically, this is what I live with. And it can be really, really hard. And like I, in the course of the last year, I was able to have those conversations with people that I work with. And I just felt closer to them and I felt safe with them. And it like, it melted some of my anxiety. Mm. Um, yeah, I always feel that. I always feel with people, like, once I'm able to be really real with them and be like, actually, yeah, like, I hear stuff. It's really cool. <laughs> like, um, then I, it's just like a weight, like this invisible weight that just got lifted off my shoulders. And I'm just like, I can be, I can relax. I don't have that secret anymore. Yeah. There, there's something that, um, 
very brave and courageous about that, I think. And I think um, what I want to, I'm trying to figure out from you where, because when I talk about this, and I talk to professionals who are really good at what they do, and I mentioned one time I worked at a hospital, and one of the, the, one of the doctors there t took me aside. He worked in the children unit, and he said, uh, you know, uh, Eric, I had the same problems. I had such anger problems. He said, I, I thought I was going to go to jail. I go, why don't you ever share that? And he was not comfortable. And I don't know if it's just he wasn't ready at that time, but I felt like, and I feel like, and I'm, what I'm hearing you say, part of our healing comes from us revealing our weaknesses. My biggest weakness is the biggest strength I bring to my work. I mean, I don't have it solved. I'm here for you. We'll both share it together. That's enough. For me, anyway, I realize now more than ever, it's just that, feeling that connection. And so, but there's a part of that, though. You took that step because a lot of people, like this doctor, I mean, I know for every one person like you or I, I know 50 people who are professionals that could, but they won't. Mm -hmm. What? And I, for me, I just had to get, like I say, I just practice, and I still practice how to say it so that it's not so powerful to people that it's, it, it causes trauma for them or, or whatever it might be. What is it that, what was the moment where you said, I'm going to do this? Because it's a very conscious thing for most of us. Was it for you? It was. It was something that I contemplated for a while. I talked with my therapist about it. Um, I recognized that there are select people that I told, right? I didn't just like share it at a staff meeting one day, right? It was in an office with the people that I knew like had their own challenges and I felt like I can trust you to be discreet with this very personal information that I'm sharing with you. And I also trust that you are not going to look at me sideways after I tell you it. How did that go? It went great. It brought me and my last office mate, it brought us so close together. And we were able to, when we were going through hard things in our personal lives, we were able to talk about it at work. And that was just so um, meaningful for me because it makes you, every time you can share with another person, you're a little less othered. Mm -hmm. Tell me what that means, othered. So feeling like, oh, I'm so different. Or like these things that I live with are just so strange. And mm -hmm. it's just like, no, actually, like when, you know, she gets stressed out, things happen for her too. Right. And so um, just feeling normalized. Well, what I remember when I started consciously doing that is having this great amount of fear that uh, people will think. How are you a social worker? How are you capable of doing this job? What's wrong with you? That um, I was so concerned about the reaction uh, that that's what kept me quiet for so long. But then what I noticed happening was something completely opposite. Is this great sense of like you mentioned that breath, like, oh, like that waves off. I remember feeling connected in a way and just looking at people when they would listen and how they would like be saying things like, I'm so glad you brought that up or yes, you know, you make that connection. And I started as I start, and that's practicing for me, not practicing the same thing, but also like, oh, I, how much farther can I take it? 
and how much and I found it I started collecting more good experiences mm. than, than, and not many bad ones at all there was a couple of times when somebody would look at me like I remember in an elevator leaving an AA meeting and I told this kid something about you know uh, and he looked at me like what's wrong with that dude <laughs> and I was like ah so sharing isn't always the greatest uh, but I still do it anyway and I, that's one of the things I practice with I changed the way I said it mm. um, but for me it continues to be I think if another thing I would see in the future of therapy is for uh, all therapists to get to that state of being comfortable. You read my mind. I wanted go. to I wanted to come back to that original question that you Let's asked hear it. when you were like, "Oh, what do you want for the future of therapy?" and we talked about providing more education in schools around mental health. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's part of it. Also, um, more transparency. Mm. You know, I, I question, so here's, I'll just throw it out there. I haven't thought a ton about this, so we're going to think out loud about it right Let's now. Let's do it. <laughs> um, but so transparency, um, I wonder. Mm -hmm. Transparency as a therapist, mm -hmm. right? I understand the value in being a blank slate, but I wonder if you if there was like i wonder what it would be like therapeutically to be able to briefly touch upon the fact that the therapist has lived with their own mental health challenges mm. i think you know of course you wouldn't want to make the therapy conversation about yourself mm -hmm. but if you were transparent with the fact that yes you have experienced mental health struggles you have been through your own process. Mm -hmm. What that would do for the relationship. Thank you. Because yeah. my thought on that is that, like I just was trying to explain, is that it has taken me, I don't know, I've been in the, in the field doing this for 35 years. But uh, it wasn't until the last 20, 25 years that I started to really take that approach. Because I remember being working with people and, and them having such like deep, deep feelings and, and, you know, meeting them in the emergency room and, and doing that initial like bring them in, you know, from the ambulance to the police. And this girl had, you know, cuts that she had tried to, uh, you know, end her life. And I just had this amazing, I was so overcome with the need to connect with her. And I showed her where I had done that when I was her age. It wasn't quite the right thing to do. Mm. I know now what the right thing to do was. So my point is this. When I first started off, I wanted to make a connection. I didn't know how to do it, so I've just been practicing it. Mm. I think the same way with therapists. If we were to change the way that we make those connections, and instead of trying to avoid that, because the last thing you want to do is have somebody come in and think, oh, this guy's a mess, or she's a mess, or you know what I mean, whatever. I think the challenge is, and, and, and I'm not like, what I know about um, licensed therapy is that some very, just like in doctors, some very, like, some codes of conduct that you, you don't want to lay your challenges on a, on a client, for mm -hmm. example. But, and I'm not saying this is, but for me anyway, why can't we, coming into therapy, have that same attention to that? Bringing this great, like our greatest weaknesses are also our strengths. So if I was talking and I have like made relationships with some of my therapists because I have, we have 
decided to bring that in. And it works. I don't, I have never looked at a therapist as weak or not able to do their job. I look at them as more human and I look at them as, as, a, as it's a human experience, whatever challenge. I think it speaks to also like I can relate, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to tell you all the details of what I've lived with, but I can confirm that I can relate. Mm. And that's really powerful. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, why then is it such a, why you would probably, you were closer to when you finished your degree, what was the thought when they would talk to you about relationships and therapeutic relationships and boundaries? What did they talk about as far as bringing in your own story and, and how to? I think, so one of the rules is limited self, limited self disclosure when it is beneficial for the client. And I think that's what we're talking about here, right? Is very limited disclosure and it does it serve a purpose to aid in the therapeutic process for the patient. And I think that's what we're saying here, right? Mm -hmm. Like feeling understood, feeling normalized um, can be part of the therapeutic process. And so if you see your therapist as a person who is capable and productive and living a life that is healthy, it can, I think, but we also know that that therapist perhaps has lived with depression. And so I think that can be inspiring and provide a lot of hope for people who are in that spot of maybe their life isn't going as well as they'd like it to, but because of depression. But seeing an example of someone who's been there, gotten through it, and has come out on the other side could be, could, could be beneficial, could be really helpful. I think so. I, I think it's just something that we haven't adapted yet. And I think we, it, it, if I, when I say the future, that's what I would hope to see. So I'll give you an example. So one of my friends' uh, father had a heart attack, really traumatic for him. He's in the, he's, he's healing. You know, there's a lot of depression that comes with uh, people who have had a heart attack later in life. That's one of the things that comes as uh, a majority of them have this different kind of feeling, right? You're up against death and, and all these things. So he's in bed and this guy shows up, knocks on his door, walks in, hey, he goes, you don't know me, I'm uh, Mike. I also had a heart attack two years ago and I come make visits and I talk to people because I was here. And he lightened up and his, t his mood completely changed. He had a different outlook on life. So let me put this in another scenario. If, so if, I, if a doctor who did your cardiologist walks in on you, how'd it go? Good, yeah. Well, I had this done too. And he shows you a scar. He goes, yeah, same thing. So yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's no need to make any like, I think there's this need to create a boundary and yet I think that a lot of that might be I don't know but some of it I think is ego is we want to have this certain life be of an authority and be somebody that people can depend on and we'll do that but then I think for me anyway I would much more prefer people bring the honesty and bring because when they're comfortable with that no matter what it is and they can express it without traumatizing me or causing me you know I'm like I am a part of the human race. I am just like you. You are like me. And speaking to the capability of the therapist, I have worked with several therapists who have lived with their own mental health struggles. And we've talked collectively as a group about how we think it's made us better clinicians mm. because we had to go through the struggle and we know what it takes. 
and it's built our empathy and it also just really helps in the therapy room when asking thoughtful open-ended questions um, having your own lived experience to help inform the questions that you're asking is is really great and so i think by no like by no means has my mental health struggles prevented me from being a good therapist they have only contributed to me being a good therapist nice love it yeah well listen we're going to take a break and then we're going to find out about the real lisa when we get back are you ready <laughs> okay all right hey welcome back we're going to continue talking and talking and talking um i want to know the real you Something that I picked up from you when we first, uh, when I first met you, was like when you. I remember there was a couple of times there's movies on or some other things, and you're kind of a deep thinker. Is that true or false? Absolutely true. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Like I remember one time we were watching this, and you just seemed so into it, and I'm like, I don't, I don't like this movie, and you're like so into it. But uh, what is it you're thinking? What? Well, I don't mean about this movie, but I, I just uh, just talking to you uh, during our uh, pancakes. I mean, we had a really deep conversation. Oh yeah, about like God and what ties us all together, and what is <laughs> yeah that deep. <laughs> what is morality, and how do we come to know what that actually is? Are there good and bad in the world, or just are we just well, our yes all that all that? Let's go. Yeah. Have you always been sort of? Um, I always kind of felt like I was a deep thinker as a kid. I really liked to deconstruct things that I liked, mm -hmm. whatever it was. Like when I was a kid, baseball or a book or whatever. Is that something that's natural to you? Absolutely. I started questioning the Bible at a very young age. Um, I remember I asked my mom, um, why is the Bible so centered around men? Where are the women in the Bible? Why is God a man? What about the woman half? Like, come on now. Let's go. <laughs> um, I remember I almost didn't get my first confirmation because I felt very um, conflicted. I knew it was something that my family wanted me to do, but I was like, I don't really know if I buy into this Jesus thing. Um, wow, yeah, dig it. But but have also just what used to kind of consume my thoughts was were these thoughts of like what is good, what is bad, what is like the symbolism in the Bible and what like does God live within all of us and how do we truly connect and um, yeah, I've thought about that stuff a lot. Yeah, and you, you speak very eloquently when we talked at breakfast. I was like, whoa. I mean, I liked the way you described not using the word good and bad. And how did you describe that? Well, there's no such thing as good and bad emotions, right? They're just emotions Feelings. that exist. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So being sad isn't bad. It's just mm. part of life, right? And it doesn't feel great and I kind of want it to go away but the more we try to push it away the more we're just digging ourselves in deeper so if we can sit with our sadness and change our relationship to it mm. and we have a better chance of living with it differently yeah the way the way I heard you kind of allowed me to say if I was to redo things how would I approach life now I like the fact that 
you made it just a matter of how did you what were the words that you put instead of good and bad i mean you were sort of talking about it's really not a good or bad it's not gray or white or black it's just it just is oh well just thinking about the duality that exists in life there's light and dark and summer and winter and um there's life and death and so um there can be dualities within us as well, and those are just reflective of nature. So, um, as a young, as a kid, you're questioning the Bible, you're questioning what this means and why is this dominated with the, the male perspective or whatever. What uh, did you come to terms with? What did you? I haven't come to terms with it. It's still quite, it's still very much an active conversation in my head. Um, and with my loved ones around me, um, I, I, because you and I were talking about like how a lot of people have a sense that there's some sort of spiritual something in the world, Mm. right? But mm, a lot of us can't pinpoint it. We just have a feeling. And so I think about that feeling quite a bit and you know how how does it exist within me and how does it connect you and i together and you know what what else exists within that possibility so like the god concept Mm -hmm. like i there's something like we were saying something that ties us together i believe Mm -hmm. and then also that that something is tied to a bigger something Mm. yeah i think for me when we talked about that the construct of organized religion and you mentioned that word organized religion and that's kind of what i was yeah organized religion to come back to the 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 feeling that i had as a kid is yes something that i still grapple with where where is the feminine energy and i i am hesitant to put this out into the world because i think it can sound I don't know what I think it sounds like, but it to be totally real and totally honest, yeah, I do think about that. I'm like, so, okay, if there's been so much representation of the male energy in the world, I mean, like the patriarchy that's just been just running the show for so long, and maybe that's like reflective of some of the spiritual, I don't know. stuff that's happened in the world where is the feminine energy right where and what does that mean what does that look like what does that mean for us and so i think it's just it's really thought-provoking to think about like if okay were there were was there something spiritually going on um couple thousand years ago and could there be something that happens in our future that is mm, similar but maybe like evens the playing field a little bit (laughs) (laughs) that's what you're really getting down to i get it yeah let's even the playing field yes i mean when you say it like that it really makes sense it doesn't come from this place of like aggressive active feminism or whatever you're i mean it comes from more like well i don't okay so let's just look at the 
uh, the scales here. Why is it all dominated by you know, males, and why is it women in a, um, uh, a different kind of role? Yeah, secondary, right? Yeah. But if you look, it we to create a human, to create a new life, you need two, you need a male and a female, and so I just have always felt like women were underrepresented, and I'm very just curious about like so if we're going back to this God concept like. The the God concept is probably one, right? Mm-hmm. But in all the stories that I've ever read growing up, and I've looked into a bunch of religions, it just doesn't, there's, I, there's a balance missing, and I would love to see what the other half of that one is. Well, listen, I hope you come up with it, and I'll be around, and I want to hear it. These are just thoughts. <laughs> I know, it's great, right? And I, one of the things that I respect about that is often when you talk to people about this, they are very have a very strong opinion. So you might say, why? You don't seem aggressively. Why don't they talk more about women? You just seem to be like you have this kind of scientific curiosity, which I appreciate. Like, why can't we do this? Because you you don't seem, in some things you're very determined. Like I ask you, do you should I do You go, no, when we were making pancakes. And I'm oh. Like, that was kind of cool. I like that you were confident in that. Uh, and what you do and don't want, but you're also very open to that. You're very much putting all these things out there, which kind of gives you the spirit of generosity and acceptance, and that you don't have all the answers. I think that's what I was, that's what I've been thinking about today, talking to you. That you never have once said to me, even before when we were working together, that you you never seem to be like, uh, oh, this is what right or wrong. You're always. It's like they're just musings and they're fun to have with other people. And I love to hear other people's perspectives and thoughts on it. And really, I love incorporating as much science into the spiritual conversation as possible and as much psychology in it as well. Right. So we were talking about like, I, you know, so I hear things. And for a long time, I thought that was God. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I swung my pendulum all the way to the other side. And I was like, nope. It is just misfirings in my brain, and that is what I'm hearing. Um, but it's fun to think about the maybe the gray in the middle, where like, okay, if we're all kind, of, if many of us are accepting of the fact that there's, or curious about the fact that there's something tying us together, there's some sort of spiritual something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably tied to our psyches, very, very closely. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. What if there's a, yeah, clearly my brain isn't functioning at 100%. It's, <laughs> but maybe what's going on with me isn't 100% misfiring. There you go. Well, this is the thing I'm saying. You have this openness to that, which I appreciate. I just think that, that we have to be that way. We have to be certain about not wanting salt in the pancakes, for example, and you're very definite. I like that. But you're also, you never are like, well, this is just the way it has to be. It's the, I would say it's the ultimate of organized religion. It's more like, for me, it's like having an open view of everything. Because, you know, when I talk to somebody, they go, well, uh, do you believe in God? I go, uh, yeah. <laughs> That, all, that response says it all, because it's like, he, he, I'm like, you know, I mean, 
Yes, but that doesn't determine what I, what is, what determines what I do is it, am I a good person? Do I treat myself well? Do I treat others well? I'm not going to complicate this shit, man. It's like, you know, like I said, I had a heart attack a month and a half ago. Yeah. And I was like, who gives a shit? All that shit I was worrying about, I'm just going to enjoy today. If I make a mistake, okay. If I do something bad, or bad, there's a word. But if I do something that isn't good for me or somebody else, I'll learn from it. I'm not going to live in fear of it. Mm. So I love that openness. I appreciate you bringing that. Yeah, it's just, and yeah, so it's so fun to have this conversation with people and learn from other people. Yeah. I'm excited to hear what's going to happen in the years to come from this. Because you've got this really cool, I mean, that's the essence of science or the essence of truth and truth through science or whatever, however you want to say it, uh, is curiosity. Yeah. Three I cheers. Be- I believe that there someday there's going to be a scientific explanation for the spiritual experiences we have. I do we too. just haven't gotten there yet. Agreed. We'll agree on that. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back, and we have something that we should have been talking about when we're on the mic. But uh, tell me what your take is on being authentic. Authenticity. Yeah, I think it's so important. And um, you and I were just talking about moving throughout the world authentically. Mm. Um, And I just really value that in relationships when if somebody's in a bad mood, please just be in a bad mood. Don't try and like cover it up and then I have to pick up on the fact that you're in a bad mood through all these subtle ways. Like I'd rather you, you just be like, yep, it's a shit mood today and this is what you're getting. Okay, great. I can work with that. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so for me, uh, the value of that is it's it, being truthful with myself means I'm truthful with you. So you know where I'm standing then, right? You know that I'm just, I feel like when I woke up, grumpy as fuck. I didn't have the coffee that I bought. It's terrible. You know, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's hard to do because, uh, and you don't do this, I don't think. I haven't seen this. And I try not to do it is because I have for so long putting on a face. Tell me about putting on a face. Putting on a face is... I think one of the hardest things. Um, I can't do it. I I think other people can, and that's probably a strength that gets them through situations. For me, it's not happening. (laughs) It's just not. If I am sad, you're going to know it. Yeah. Um, And I think if we could just all own our feelings more authentically with each other, I think we'd have better connection. Absolutely. How much time have I taken to try and figure out what that other person is thinking? I don't need to be engaged in that. They can have their feelings. It doesn't mean that's something that I'm responsible for or need to react to. And I think like that kind of authenticity could also be seen as like assertiveness too. Mm -hmm. You know, just... You're like that. Yeah. (laughs) Very assertively. Yeah. I like that though. And I think it's just... It saves us all time and energy if we could all just be open and assertive with each other rather than like, I don't know, playing weird games or like me having to like wonder what's off with this person today and did it have to do with me or did it have to do with what happened with them this morning? And like, just like, if you could just be open and assertive with me, I'd really appreciate it. I dig that. That's awesome. 
So we have a few more minutes, and then we're going to take a break and do the quick uh, nine questions. Uh, so I want to find what is the who is the fun Lisa? What does she do? Oh, okay. Uh, I think I have the most fun when I am kind of just living in the moment. Mm. And when I have, I'm surrounded with people that I feel happy and comfortable to be with. And um, it doesn't have to be anything super out of the ordinary, just kind of like laughing and um, cutting loose. When's the last time that happened? I had fun the other night when I was uh, with my partner and we were having a really a really good deep talk and perfectionism came up and we decided fuck perfectionism and we were laughing about how we should you know have a sign in our house that's like like we should like take spray paint and like spray paint fuck perfectionism up on the wall <laughs> and so we got up and we were like we can do that let's do that right now <laughs> and so we we found a piece of cardboard and some spray paint <laughs> and we spray painted fuck perfectionism and then we taped it up to the inside of our front door so that every time you leave the house you remember fuck it wow I love that because that's what we're talking about. The authenticity. That's, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what it is. It's like uh, what a what a treat that is to unload that need to uh, be perfect. Where does that come from? Right. Where does it come from? You guys had a long discussion. And I feel like so most, so much of the time we feel like we have to be perfect and we have to be like in a in a happy mood at work and doing great and like talking about like just the like mask. Yeah. The mask. Yeah. And I know that you're not in a good mood today. I I know it. So just be that way with me rather than me have to be like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. Now, see, the thing that. And so you don't. So to tie it into perfectionism. So you don't have to be perfect. And that means your mood, too. Right. Like your mood doesn't have to be one way. It can be all sorts of different ways. And that's great because that's real. Yeah. So this uh, sounds to me like one of those great moments where unplanned, having, you know, just thoughts that become this cool kind of like thing, project, and you do it and it comes up in the house. Um, again, very much spurred by a genuine sense of authenticity. Like... And that, you know, you I, I thought you were going to mention, you said you went camping with your family. I thought that was going to come in there. I don't, I'm not saying it, it should or anything, but I love that example because that is the, that is the, so I sometimes think I have to be doing something special, seeing a special concert play, seeing a game or being engaged in something um, in order for me to find that. But to find it organically is, is the biggest, it's a, it's a treat, it's a gift. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. for me it is and that sounds like what that was for you yeah i think fun is more available to us than we think it is oh that's pretty that's a good title for a book Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure i think we can find fun and joy in such small simple ways just like children do when you were a kid how did you have fun 
I had a best friend growing up who lived down the street and we were together. We were inseparable and we could just, we loved being outside. We liked making mud pies. We liked, you know, taking that blade of grass and putting it through your thumbs. And making the whistle. And the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Just like, I think, yeah, I think fun for me was just having a companion to just ride bikes with and be outside and just, I don't know. You see what I'm getting here and what, what I'm hearing from you? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can hear yourself. I mean, take it in. Maybe you will later. But there's just this like earthy, like uh, spiritual thing that you seem to embrace, which I think is kind of like uh, really nice. Like you're not mentioning going on a boat to the, you know, Catalina Islands or this great whatever. The very the, the simplicity of love and laughter is really the key, and it's hard for me to find that and recognize it sometimes. Mm. And I'm glad you pointed that out because that's really what it boils down to. It's not that we went to this special play or game. It's that w- before we went and we had dinner. Remember we went to that place and the the ribs weren't cooked. Whatever. That's what it always is. Mm. The place is. It's almost like when people say, you know, life is the journey. It's not a destination. I like that. What you're pointing out to me, anyway, is that it's this very like gen- not generic, uh, very uh, genuine, earthy, just being organic and allowing it to occur. Those are the best moments, right? I remember as a kid, the best times were when you hang, you went out at night and you were out screwing around and you were throwing snowballs and the neighbor's car got hit and then you were chased by the dogs and then the cops. Remember that? I mean, that's what we talk about. Yeah. From 40 years ago, I'll talk to my friend about that. Like, remember when we spray painted that sign, fuck, uh, you know, perfection? I mean, those are great. Yeah, I think um, there's great wisdom in being happy with the very moment that you're in. Mm. Not trying to plan, not trying to scheme, but just being happy where you're at. With whomever you're with and whatever life is throwing your way. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, it's easy but all the time. But I think that's, I mean, that's what mindfulness is about, right? Mm. Mindfulness is about like being in the present moment and when we can get out of our heads and just be in the world around us, I think that's when we're going to find peace. I dig that. I dig that. And listen, that's going to be, that's the, um, what was the title of the book we were joking about? I just see you writing a book at some point. I just would love to see you take all this and, and take uh, therapy and peer and make that, you know, something more. Mental health community, yeah. 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 So now we're going to do the nine questions. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. All right, welcome back, Lisa. We are going to do the nine quick hit questions. So the idea is you just, whatever comes to mind. Oh, you're okay. A, you're a very deep thinker, and I appreciate that. So... You don't have to on these. I'm going to let you, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to, but it's totally up to you. Okay. Okay, Because these questions you're going to go, what kind of question is that? All right. So you accidentally opened a portal to hell (laughs) and have to put two good people in and two bad people. So the whole world isn't sucked in. Oh, no. I know. This happens a lot. So thank God it hasn't ever. Who do you, who are the good people you put in? I have to put good people into hell and bad people into hell. Are they, do they have to be alive right now? Yeah. 
Okay. Do I have to know them? No. Okay. Two good people. Well, two bad people. I'm going to get, well, the first one that came to mind, those are the instructions, right? Mm -hmm. The bad person would have to be Trump. Knew it. <laughs> Sorry. Good call. It's an easy one, but <laughs> okay. that's how I feel. Um, uh, another bad one. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Okay, good ones? Mm -hmm. What would be a strategic good person to put into hell? Like the first good person that came to my mind, and I'm not trying to get political at all, but Obama was the first person that came to mind, but I don't want this world to live on without him. Um, so I guess the question is, what good people could the world live without? And still You're keep going, going to that deep thinking thing, which I love. <laughs> who could we like? Who do we love? But we're like, it's okay. We've got this. Um, Tom Hanks. Oh, Tommy. <laughs> I don't know why I said Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Okay, sure. Tom Hanks oh, is number one. Terrible. And then who else is like? Who else is like? We're we're good. You're good, but we're good. I don't know. You can't Who's ask contributed me. already and is on their way out? Um, I don't know. Pass. <laughs> Pass. Trump. Trump and Tom Hanks. Okay. Those are my answers. Have you ever punched anybody out? No. Would you like to? Yes. Who needs a good slug? Who needs a good slug? Um, the person that keyed my car. When did this happen? This happened a few months ago. It was very upsetting. They keyed a money symbol into the side of my car. Why? And that was very upsetting. I, it, I don't know. I don't know. I, it turned into a whole thing. There was, my car got vandalized twice within like two months. Twice? Yeah. And then I didn't know what was happening, but there was this person on my street who had been giving me a lot of attention and I had recently told that and then I told them that thank you so much but I do have a partner and then my partner and I were out washing my car one day like on the street we like buffed it up it was looking really nice and then the next day I come back to my car and somebody had keyed some like a money symbol into the side of my car and so my mind was like, okay, and then like a month before that, somebody had smashed my um, driver's side window mm -hmm. or mirror. And so um, my car, my car wasn't there. And I'm looking all around the parking garage and I'm like, where's my car? Where's my car? What is happening? And then I noticed that the, the parking um, structure had all these signs that said reserved. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I parked in a reserved spot and I got towed. So then I journey back over to the front desk person and I'm like, I think you guys towed my car today. Can you please let me know where it is? I need to go get my car. And so the guy looks through the records and he's like, I'm sorry, ma'am. We haven't called any tow trucks today. If your car is not in the garage, then you need to call the police and file a report. And I was in the middle of this, like wondering if this person was stalking me yeah. and like vandalizing my car because they were disgruntled 
And I, my anxiety, I just lost it. I start crying my eyes out Mm. right there in the lobby of the office building. I'm like, oh my God, I truly do have a stalker. And they like, they came and got my car and oh my God. That makes sense, right? And I was just so nervous and upset. And then my coworker who was down there, my coworker and friend, she was like, let's go, let's go look one more time. Just show me where you think you parked. And so we go back to the parking garage and I was like, wait you were on the wrong level i was on the wrong level (laughs) i was just like i was bawling i was so scared i was like i can't believe this is happening i'm so scared like i had already gone out and bought myself a rape whistle and like pepper spray and all this stuff and i changed my route home like i went i was very scared and so and then we found my car and i was like wow um (laughs) So whoever keyed my car needs to get Woman. punched oh, no. out just one time. Don't right. do that. Not cool. Well, uh, I'm with you on that. My mom, one time, uh, somebody uh, hit my sister and she she went, we well, all went out in the car to find him. And she said, I will hold her arms back and let you guys punch him. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so I'm willing to do that for you if you ever find that. But uh, the, the other, uh, it brings up two things for me. Number one, so clearly out in the open, I'm going to bring this up. So you're very attractive. Okay. And so when you worked at that uh, drop-in center, mm-hmm. I can remember a lot of the guys there would talk about you. You may not know this. I did not know that. But you, I'm sure, knew the attention that you got. Mm-hmm. What, how do you deal with that? And what was that like? Um... I, I, I think I move about this world with like, I consider it humility, but my old office mate would call it naivete, I think. Um, Just that I, you know, if somebody happens to comment on my appearance, it's just kind of like, okay, thanks, that's nice, and let's move on. Um, I don't think of myself in that way very much Mm -hmm. and I don't pay it a lot of mind um so if that's happening that's fine and let's move on and talk about things that are more interesting I was just gonna say (laughs) I almost was gonna go let's move on because I felt that's where you were going like that's not really interesting it's not it's not that interesting um also the second part of this was that what I love about these questions is it really sort of is, I answer questions like that, and it really kind of reveals something about me. So when I heard you tell this story, what I'm hearing you say is the trauma that that caused you, this person who gave you this unwanted attention, and whether that's the person, the same person or not, this event in your life is kind of like uh, what we experience when people come to see us for therapy or we talk to them. And so what what would you take out of that that um, you could use uh, in talking to somebody else about that? For example, you mentioned that you were crying. You mentioned that you felt threatened, that you felt you were traumatized, mm. and you didn't know. And that all makes sense because you don't really know what happened, but you know there was it really felt like a very definite attack, per se, and it left you open and vulnerable. How would you then relate that? others because we talked a lot about peers and we talked a lot about sharing that experience what did you learn in that lisa is my question i I think i would encourage 
men to have um, a little more um, awareness of how their um, commentary on a woman's appearance or the way that they let a woman know that they are interested in her, um, I would encourage men to take more uh, sensitivity um, and recognize that it can be very uncomfortable for women and that it can feel unsafe as well. Um, and so this person on my street who was giving me the unwanted attention, I think he thought I was feeling flattered, right? But I wasn't. I was actually feeling kind of uncomfortable. And you told them. We still don't know that that's the person, but I we're don't. just working I do not. on that. I do not. And um, I'm trying my best to be grounded in the way that I move about my neighborhood. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think that's that's the takeaway is that, like, please be understanding that as women, like, we are taught to, you know, when you're walking alone at night, you need to have your keys in your hand ready mm -hmm. to sell, like, ready to, like, be attacked. Gouge their eyes. Right? Out. And so even in the daylight, even when you're just interacting with a woman, maybe at a bar or whatever, like, just be mindful of, like, how you might be making her feel. Hmm. That's very sweet and kind and assertive. I like that. Um, so when somebody, here's, this is just what strikes me about that. I appreciate that. I also think that that experience will make you even more uh, helpful as a healing person with other people. True or false? Um, you know, I like to think about the, the movie um, Inside Out. I love that movie. And like, so we know what Joy's purpose is. We know what, you know, like everybody loves Joy. Joy is great. But so what what is Sadness's purpose? And... And eventually in the movie, you learn about how sadness brings us closer together. And I think that um, struggle does that for us as well. Um, struggle when is something that, you know, we have to go through. But it also can bring us closer together by having um, mutual experiences or similar experiences that uh, now say that one more time so so the fact that i went through feeling threatened and unsafe in my neighborhood will only help me to better understand and be able to ask questions of a person who has mm, maybe been through some sort of threatening situation in their life as yeah. well yeah you mentioned the, the connectivity then is is the power right so it's not so much that you have all the answers to that this is my takeaway, but that you connect with people because you share that. So right. you because don't have to give me all the background, the details. You, you don't have to. I just, just knowing that you connects me to you. It yeah. connects me, us to the human experience of being women or men or just whatever. Yeah. And connection is, yeah, so, so important. And like, I think that's, if you think about depression, like isolation is one of the things that really feeds into our depression. And I see my patients in my work today who, like, have been living with really strong depression. And then the only thing that they've changed within the last couple of weeks is just getting out and being around people. And that has lifted some of their depression. Mm. And so, like, it just speaks to the power of connection, the power of just 
feeling understood and close to others. Nice. I like it. Um, who doesn't get enough credit, Lisa? Mm. Who doesn't get enough credit? <laughs> I think an easy answer is my mom. Ooh. Right? Our mothers. Okay. You know, I was thinking about my mom the other day as I was driving home. She's got, you know, she opted not to work. She opted to take care of the family and the home. And she had four kids, and that was a lot. Mm. And she worked really hard. And But it's she wasn't, you know, bringing in a paycheck. And so there's not as much tangible recognition for what she did, right? But she did massive amounts of work. And so I think um, people that are working, also people like in the, like the service industry don't get enough credit for the amount of work that they put in. Me and my partner were talking about this the other day. It's so funny how like executive level positions don't have consistent hard labor. They have times of stress and times of working and but it's not it's not the consistent in day in and day out that like a lot of people at the very like at entry level positions right. are doing. And it's just so frustrating to see the inequity of the distribution of wealth because the people who are working their tails off are getting paid like nothing. Mm. And what would it look like if we got paid for the amount of labor that we put in? Yes. That's awesome. Like amount of sweat produced. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I way, mean, like a sweat jar where the, I'll go over there and the the most underrepresented, underappreciated people in our like our societal structure are the are the ones out there in the fields picking the strawberries, right? And they're getting paid migrant nothing. workers, right? Yeah, yeah, nothing, right? Those people deserve so much credit because they are human beings like you and me and they have feelings and thoughts and aspirations and dreams and they are just stuck and it's it's very frustrating to know that we all lean on those people and yet they're they're getting nothing in return i love that who gets too much credit Mm, too much credit i would say like um it feels like, and this is an uninformed statement, so we'll just put that disclaimer <laughs> okay. out there. Right. But it feels like like Congress people get so much credit, or so that mm-hmm. you know they're like we perceive that they're doing so much, and yet there always seems to be such a standstill, like in the bureaucracy with all the red tape, and like when is like when are we going to make real change? And it just feels like. Like, there are big, massive issues that need action, and they just don't feel like they move the needle very far, very often. I like that. There's a, and, and yet there's so much camera time and so much news that they occupy. They That must be very, um, I mean, having that sort of spotlight on you, I think there's a, there's a big part of ego in that. And... Uh, I also think that I'm with you on the politics part, but how about sports stars and actors, celebrities, Brad Pitt's and those people? I love those guys. I love their movies. But, I mean, we turn so much attention to that. 
and we give them credit for like, well, they were at the telethon for cancer. Like, but then you say, how about the family from Puerto Rico that is here picking strawberries for 12 hours a day? Right, or the kid at the movie theater serving the popcorn. Yeah. You know. He's working a hell of a lot harder than they <laughs> So, like, yeah, there's massive talent in being a athlete or a movie star or a musician. And I, I love that they're getting, there's nothing wrong with, like, getting recognition and making money, but it's the, it's the inequity in the distribution of the wealth that it's just really really frustrating is there one politician you want to call out nope okay. i already did earlier <laughs> okay um if you could start a movement lisa i don't know why i wrote this question i wrote it last Ooh. night but i just had a feeling you would you would lead Ooh. a movement <laughs> what would you lead oh my god okay well i'm gonna try and stay in my lane mental health it would have to be something around mental health right i um I have thought about this. Like, if I could contribute, what would it be? And I don't know yet. I think it's something that I'm figuring out uh, with the help of people along the way, like you, dear Eric, and others. Um, yeah, I want. I, I, I want to make big change. I would love to lead a movement. I, I would. I want to be helpful. <laughs> that's what I want I want to be helpful so if I could find a way to be helpful to others and it would be cool if that was a big thing but I'm also very uh, content with helping people just in my therapy room you know uh, but yeah it would it would be cool to do some sort of like mental health something so, well, okay if we're in the spirit okay. in the spirit of 100% authenticity um to yeah my my big deep deep dream is to tie to figure out the tie between spirituality and our psyches mm. and like what's really going on there um that now that's you know that's big stuff. That's big stuff. Big. That's big. Well, uh, I can't <laughs> wait in 10 12 years I, I can't wait to see what you do. I want to be a part of that movement, so let me know when it starts, will you? Well, friends along the way are the only way you're going to get there. So uh, There you go. Uh, here's something really deep. If you just wrote the number one hit single in the country, then what's the title? Namaste, bitch. <laughs> okay, should we go deeper into that? <laughs> Uh, I was, I was having a, an emotional moment the other day and the little voice that I hear said that to me. So it made me laugh. It makes me laugh. I want to hear the rest of it. Is this a, is this a reggae song country? What do you listen to? Uh, what do I listen to? Mm -hmm. I love me some classical, um, indie folk, Paul Simon, Led Zeppelin, Indigo Ooh. Girls. Mm. Yeah. Dig it. Zeppelin, yeah. especially. Mandolin. Anything with a mandolin. Oh. Oh, my gosh. How about I that REO song, uh, Losing My Religion? Religion has Oh, mandolin. yeah. I that's, love that song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. What were you going to say? I, uh, I've just, I don't know why I was going to say this, but I, um, 
I went to a concert the other night, and there was an accordion as part of the band, and that was very cool. What was the context? The name of the band was called Gogol Bordello, and they're like an immigrant punk band. All right. Yeah. It was interesting. Cool. I just really appreciated the accordion. It was a super fun show. Really great. So for me, that's the key, right? So when I go to a show and I'm not going to hear a Led zeppelin kind of thing, which is my thing, yeah. then I just go enjoy the moment, whatever this is. And I had yeah. a concert like that a couple of months ago where this guy got up and there was a bunch of weird instruments and I'm immediately like, oh, fuck. And then it was really fun because I just let it go. I'm like, Eric, you, I didn't pay to get in. Just enjoy it. Yeah. I love that. Like people just hitting fucking old washing machine. I don't know what. I mean, it was. That's cool. I'd be into that. (laughs) I I would. I love that kind of stuff. (laughs) If you can make it enjoyable, sometimes if it sounds like a mess and a noise. (laughs) So there's just, I don't know where that line is. No, yeah. I I can, I hear that. I went to a friend's place who had just like an art installation in his loft area. And I was standing there watching these two individuals like disassemble a cello or no, it was a upright bass, an upright bass. And then one other instrument and we we're just watching them disassemble it. And I was like, when is the music going to start? And then I realized like 10 minutes in, this is the this show. Is show this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, next time you go to that, please invite me along. I really want to be a part of that. That is like the, I don't know, like the, the Bohemians and the, whatever, the beatniks. And, you know, I love stretching the boundaries. I think the, the older I get, the more I love it. Because mm. I don't need the conventional stuff all the time. I get tired of Led Zeppelin or whatever. I, I love it. Yeah. I want to see somebody disassemble a bass and you turn to me 10 minutes and you go, uh, Eric, this is the show. This is the show. <laughs> and I go, fuck, it's great. <laughs> All right. Who was your idol at age five? Years old. Oh, I thought you were going to go more. There was more ages. There's more ages later, but five. Five? When I was five? Um, my idol at five years old is probably like my parents. Yeah. Were you a Disney kid? Were you like a princess... Uh, we had we had a shit ton of Barbies at our house. I had two sisters. And yet you didn't mention it. <laughs> Never into the Barbie scene? Um, No, I played with a lot of Barbies growing up. Okay. Yeah. I know you made mud pies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, age 12. Age 12. What grade are you in at 12 years old? I think about five or six, sixth grade. Um... The Spice Girls? No, that's terrible. I don't know. <laughs> don't judge it. Come on, man. Which Spice I don't know, Girl? That's a, that, uh, Ginger Spice was my favorite. And then she came out with a solo album, and that was really good. Jerry well, Hallowell. that's enough for me. Oh, yeah. there. See, you have all these great details. Mm-hmm. I'm really getting the, the real picture of you now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 18 years of age. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I really liked Tibetan monks at that age. I thought about becoming a monk, just doing the whole... Holy cow. Yeah, just like dropping out and just dedicating my life to um, values. Wow. Yeah. And what stopped you? I don't know. You just kind of like, you just, life just sweeps you along like a river sometimes. And you just go in. You know? Chapter four, sweeped by the river. 
I like that. I know. Currently, I think am I in chapter four right now of my life? I'm either because I've I've there have been like like clear chunks. Right. I think this is. I think I'm in chapter. Well, if we're including childhood, I'm in chapter four right now. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Who is you mentioned your mother? Uh, who is your idol today? One of them. Um. I think Michelle Obama is pretty cool. I think um, she is a very patient, intelligent woman, and I appreciate what she's accomplished um, along the the way with her husband. Nice. Yeah. She went to Whitney Young High School. The role that she played in that story, I think, is really cool. Did you read her books? I have not, but I'm familiar with the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys, I don't think I, I literally took them for granted during their time, but now that we can vote anybody as president, like we could vote this fucking dog that lives next door to us as the president of the United States, and it probably would be a good idea, I, I look back at those presidents and go, whoa, what was I judging that by? I remember talk, going to my sister, Obama's okay. Uh, I don't think they haven't changed much. I don't know. I said something like that. It's very generic. And then no sooner than four late years later, you know, we, we experienced uh, Donald Trump and, and those things. And I yeah. thought, man, I was so off course. I mean, it's, We just it's, took for granted. We didn't yes, realize. exactly. Yeah. And I now I'm like, how do we get him back? Right. You know? Anybody. <laughs> when, yeah. I, when, my vote is anybody but him. <laughs> I know, right? For real. All right. Um, okay, this is the last one. A tornado is coming down your street, and there's a family of baby ducks on the right side. There's a eagle whose wing has been clipped on the left side, and there's three blind mice in front of you. <laughs> Which one? You only have time to save uh, one. Who do you say? One group? Yeah. Can I make the choice to sit down and not choose? Yeah, that's you. That's what I love about these questions. This is you. This is uh, so. Here, I'll tell you something very interesting about this. I think that's actually. I think that question, though. Now that I'm thinking of that answer, though, that's such a privileged answer that I just gave. So I reject it. <laughs> I reject my own that's answer. Such on... a, no, that's such like a privileged like. I haven't experienced life and like how life forces you to make tough choices. Mm-hmm. So scratch that. Um, I would save the ducks because if we're going by sheer numbers, they're going to produce more than the eagle or the mice. Okay. So they're going to contribute more to the continued life on our planet. Now, Let's go back to why you didn't well, you know, <laughs> to sit on the sidelines. Because I think that's fascinating. I think that says... So, yeah. So, the, the thought behind I don't want to choose is I don't want to... Play God in that way, I guess. 
Is it too much? It's too much, and it's just kind of like, well, death is not the end, and death is not bad, and so I'll die with you guys. I think that was like the image that was in my brain, was like, I will go out with you. There will be the ducks and the mice and the eagle and me, and if the the tornado is coming and it's going to take people out, take things out, was just take us all out. You know, uh, it is in the spirit of like oneness with these others. I don't know. Listen, man, here's what I'm getting from you. You're like this beautiful Tibetan monk. <laughs> and you have this heart of gold who has dreams of uh, making equal our conscious wellness. And you're not sure where it is yet. I'm excited to know where that goes. But <laughs> these, I ask the weirdest questions, and it really brings out this really cool quality, I think. Because I see that as a very, like, I don't know. I think I always like, I have used humor as a shield for so long. Mm. But I love this authenticity has been from the start of this to the end to that, to that question. Because you answered that and I can just see, I feel like I'm in a uh, Buddhist temple and you're telling me, we all deserve to live, brother. And these all are, uh, we're all one and we all go out <laughs> together. And I'm like, yeah. And it's fine. Let's we'll go, go shave my head. Death. Let's go take that death journey together. <laughs> are you really going to take that death journey? Listen, it's been such a pleasure having you on. I mean, you. Uh, when I said deep thinker, I hope you, you take that as a compliment. Because even as we were talking, and it, it, you know, I was pretty like, I don't know what it is lately with doing the podcast, but I've been very like the first half hours rough for me. And I'm like, just I had a hard time relaxing. Mm. Just so you know, it's not you. But I love as I get uh, the motor running and start burning uh, engine oil and, and we get into the depth of it, that I get a good picture of you. And I appreciate that you brought that today. I appreciate your pancake skills. They were off the charts. They you made, turned out. I, no, they didn't just turn out. They Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they turned out without even without the baking soda. I know. I was wondering if you were gonna admit to that little fault. Whatever. <laughs> and there's the human there there's the regular. Whatever, dude. <laughs> listen, it's been a pleasure and, and I love it. So listen, when you start the movement, let me know. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time here today. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Okay. Oh, yes, I do have a question. My daughter was wondering, actually, it wasn't doesn't come from me. Uh, are fish happy? Well, I've never sung a song before, but I'll give it a shot. How does it work? Oh my gosh, that's a heavy beat. Uh, I don't have any words ready. I could make a couple up. Uh, what's that? Oh, okay. It's called... Oh, okay. Sit on my couch. What? No? Oh, I get it. Come over to my place. <laughs> I still, I can't hear you. Oh, I see. Hey, baby. Ow. Like that, or I'm going all the way. Like that. This singing shit's easy. Give me some more of that funky shit. One time I went into the store. No, two step. I bought some cocoa. Ah. Hold on. This is my part right here. (laughs) Baby. Let's go all the way up. 
Like that? Ow. I don't get it. But I'm going to keep trying. You know why? Because I don't give up. Couch.